Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, July 13th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. More than 3,300,000 cases as the United States struggles to fight coronavirus. More than 3,300,000 cases as the United States struggles to fight coronavirus. In the midst of the chaos, the White House taking aim at Dr. Anthony Fauci. Days after President Trump commuted the sentence of his friend and advisor Roger Stone, special prosecutor Robert Mueller speaking out, saying Stone, quote, remains a felon. And a shocking report, President Trump reportedly considered selling the island of Puerto Rico following Hurricane Maria. We begin today with the latest on the coronavirus pandemic, seemingly with no end in sight as more than 30 states continue to see cases rising. Florida breaking a new record for single-day cases and experts warning the death toll will rise as hospitals become more and more congested. Here's the very latest. More than 3.3 million Americans have been infected with the coronavirus and at least 33 states are seeing a rise in week-to-week new cases. What we're looking at is what I think is going to be one of the most unstable times in the history of our country. We do expect deaths to go up. If you have more cases, more hospitalizations, we do expect to see that over the next two or three weeks before this turns around. On Sunday, Florida shattering the record for the highest daily increase of any state, with 15,300 easily surpassing earlier single-day case numbers set by California and New York. We're going to have to start moving regular beds into ICU beds, so we're clearly being strained at this point. Weeks ago, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis discrediting earlier predictions that this would happen in Florida. Everyone in the media was saying Florida was going to be like New York or Italy, and that has not happened. In Mississippi, hospitals are overwhelmed, some sending patients out of state because five of the state's biggest hospitals have no more ICU beds. Many days in the last few weeks, we have had more patients than we have had rooms. In Michigan, health officials saying several people who attended this packed 4th of July party have tested positive. In Georgia, an outbreak at an overnight YMCA camp. 85 campers and staff members testing positive, shutting it down. This as the governor of that state pushed back on efforts by the mayor of Atlanta to move reopening back to phase one. The governor saying she doesn't have the authority to do that. Meanwhile, around the country, reports of COVID parties. College kids are having COVID parties where they're they're getting tickets, they're buying tickets to come to the party. And then um, they will invite a couple of students that have tested positive for COVID. So if you are the first person that tests positive for COVID, then you win the money. In Texas, a San Antonio man dying of the disease after attending one. didn't really believe he thought he was young and that he was invincible and wouldn't get affected uh, by the disease. Just before the patient died, uh, they looked at their nurse and they said, I think I made a mistake. I thought this was a hoax, but it's not. And Arizona mayors are asking the governor to expand restrictions. 86% of hospital beds there are currently in use. In California, doctors are preparing to see hospitals filled to capacity. Meanwhile, in New York City, no deaths were reported for the first time. And joining us now is Dr. Andrew Pastewski. He's the ICU medical director at Jackson South Medical Center in Miami. Doctor, at your hospital, as of yesterday, you had 387 patients 
who tested positive for coronavirus. The hospital has discharged 1,297 since the pandemic began. Describe to us what your day is like right now. Well, that, those numbers are actually for the whole Jackson Health System, and those numbers have gone over to above 400 now in my hospital. On Friday, we were looking at 77. I looked in this morning. We're at 96, just from over the weekend. The day is hectic. It's constant phone calls of this patient crashing over here. I already had to intubate two patients this morning. I have a third that we're trying to find a room to intubate that patient. Our ICU is all 14-bed COVID ICU is completely filled. We have ICU patients all over the hospital. We are planning on opening up our PACU, moving our non-COVID ICU there, and then expanding our ICU another 24 beds. So we have gone from 38 ICU level of care beds, where we're hoping by the end of the week to be closer to 60. Sounds like an incredibly overwhelming situation. Doctor, over the weekend, Florida broke the record for the most cases in one day in any state at more than 1,500 positive cases. And Governor Ron DeSantis says the high number of cases are a result of increased testing. Do you agree? It's possible that the high number of tests is because of increased testing, but it's also true that we are getting strained at the hospital level. We are definitely having more patients. We had eight COVID patients about a month and a half ago. I have 96 today. So although we may be testing more, a positive test doesn't get you into the hospital. You have to be sick and require hospital level of care. So we are seeing a huge surge. Doctor, should there be a mandatory mass mandate in the state of Florida or nationwide for that matter? I think masks have been the key to controlling this from the beginning. It would be nice if our fellow Americans could just wear the masks and take care of each other like we used to back in the 20s and 30s. But if Americans can't do that, then yes, masks should be mandated because masks are the only way this is going to get uh, slowed down in any way anytime soon. And Dr. Meanwhile, the Trump administration is pushing to reopen schools in the Miami area. That's only six weeks away. Is this a good idea? So we, in my house, you know, my, my whole family got COVID, uh, including my kids, and we were debating prior to that whether or not we would want to go back to school. The, the reality is the majority of the children, the high majority of the children, 99% of them, if they do get the virus, they have very, very mild diseases and, and they do fine. That's not very comforting to the one out of 100 uh, parents who lose their child. That's a very tough call. Now that my kids have it, I'm a little more comfortable with them going to school. I would like them to go to school because I know my son, 16 months, being at home these last four months, he has not been able to develop the way he should. He's not been experiencing things. I would like to see schools open. I think there needs to be obvious masks, temperature checks. The country has to move forward at some point, but right now, it's a little dangerous. Fortunately, we have a little bit of time to get this right before we have to focus on the schools. And doctor, finally, what message do you have for people who are watching you right now? You know, there are a lot of good people working in these hospitals. It's not just doctors and nurses who get all the credit. There's respiratory therapists, there's dietary, environmental services. There are a lot of secretaries, 
um, orderlies that are really putting their life on the line to help people. And they're doing it without asking for anything extra. And it would help us if you guys wore masks. And the less patients we get, the less patients we have to intubate, the less often our workers become our own patients. And that is really one of the scariest ideas is that we're going to start seeing our staff become patients because we're not being safe out there. And that's, that's hard for people to take. Thank you so much for your time and your perspective, Dr. Andrew Pastewski from Jackson South Medical Center in Florida. Best of luck to you. Thank you. And the resurgence of COVID-19 is creating another health crisis as hospitals fill and patients are fearful of un or unable to get any non-emergency care. With U.S. coronavirus infections reaching new heights, doctors and hospitals say they are also seeing sharp declines in patients seeking routine medical care and screenings and a rise in those who have delayed care for so long they are far sicker than they otherwise would be. According to CDC data, emergency department use dropped by 42 percent during the first 10 weeks of the pandemic, despite a rise in patients with symptoms of coronavirus. And now to Washington, D.C., where the president and his administration battle to reopen schools grows. Edwin Pitti joins me live. Edwin, what's the latest with the ongoing debate about returning to classes this fall? Hello, Lorraine. There is a national debate as far as when schools should reopen in the U.S. We heard over the weekend Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos talking about that the White House wants all the schools throughout the country to be reopening by the fall. But that's going to be pretty much impossible because the White House has not really published any type of plan or layout any type of strategy as far as helping the states to reopen the schools in a safely manner. Now, the only federal agency that has been able to publish some type of guidelines has been the CDC, but President Trump himself have been calling those guidelines to be strong and very impractical. But let's, let's listen to what Secretary DeVos had to say over the weekend. Kids need to get back to school. They need to get back in the classroom. Families need for kids to get back in the classroom. And it can be done safely. Well, there okay, are guidelines me... that are very clear and also and also also very acknowledging that situations are going to be different. But the rule has got to be that I, kids I, go I to just, learning full time. I want to just tell you that I... Also, over the weekend, President Trump visited Walter Reed Medical uh, Hospital to meet with some wounded soldiers and also with medical military staff. And it was the first time that he used a facial mask in public, but he didn't say or made clear if he was willing to use that in the future. Lorraine? Edwin, and there's also new reporting out today about the White House trying to discredit or undermine Dr. Anthony Fauci. What do you know about that? Yeah, Lorraine, it's not the first time that we've heard some tension between the White House and Dr. Anthony Fauci. And that started especially because last weekend, uh, Dr. Fauci had an interview where he said that if we compared the U.S. to other countries, such as Germany or Italy, we were just not doing okay. That was not well received by the White House, especially now because they want to uh, push the message that we are doing okay because they want schools to be open by fall. But of course, this is just the beginning of another controversial moment between President Trump and Dr. Fauci. Back to you. It certainly is. Thank you so much, Edwin Beatty in Washington, D.C. for us.
And staying on the topic of schools reopening as millions of students face the perspective to return to class in the fall, controversy continues about those plans. Joining me now, Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, one of the largest teacher unions in the country. Randy, what's your biggest concern about in-person classes returning in just a matter of weeks? You mean other than Betsy DeVos? I would say that we, so starting in April, we started planning for what it would be mean to return to classes because my members want to be in school with kids. There's no question about that. We know that remote learning didn't work. You know, it worked the way we expected it to work. It didn't work very well. And it was done, you know, in a nanosecond. So we want to return. My members want to return. Teachers want to return. Kids want to return. We know parents need it. But it has to be safe. And that's where we and um, the Trump administration seem to diverge. Um, They don't seem to care about it. They don't have a plan. They won't provide resources. And every one of the plans that we have put together require spacing and uh, uh, masks, cleaning and ventilation so that neither kids nor teachers are you know, carrying or transmitting the virus. And then you also have the issue about you're going to do something really different in Florida right now, which is seeing a huge surge than you might do in New York right now. So we're getting nothing from the federal government except um, pontification. And frankly, you you know, Trump may want to be reckless when it comes to his um, rallies, but you can't be reckless with teachers or with kids. The American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended children physically return to school. The organization said it provides a better learning environment and helps kids socially and emotionally. How do you balance those needs with their physical health? Right. So, look, all of that is rolled into one. And frankly, the American, the Academy of Pediatricians actually did a new statement with us on Friday because they didn't want to be weaponized by the Trump administration. You know, they're they're pediatricians. They very much focus on kids. But in their new statement, they said it's not going to be safe unless everybody's safe. And frankly, the Kaiser Foundation just saw that about a quarter of teachers, given their ages, given pre-existing conditions, would be at risk if we are um, if we go back fully in a full way. So at the end of the day, we need to make it safe for everyone. We believe, I am a high school social studies teacher, we believe that kids need to be in school. But if we can't make it safe and people get hurt, then what we're going to have is a worse situation. And that's what we saw, frankly, in March and April in New York City. We had over 90 teachers and paraprofessionals die of COVID in New York because schools were not closed early enough. So let's be safe. Let's figure it out. It means we're probably going to have a hybrid model meeting, some in school and some um, remotely. Um, But let's make sure that we can make kids and teachers safe. Last thing I'll say is this. If we don't, we're going to have a huge brain drain because I'm seeing after the antics of divorce, DeVos and Trump, 
I'm seeing my members now being really, really scared of what it means. What happens if they're pregnant? What happens if their parents are sick and they're taking care of their parents? So the fact that there's no plan and no money attached to it means that those of us on the, uh, that have been trying to plan have a harder job. And Randy, on that note about community support, your organization released its own plan to safely reopen, including physical distancing, testing, isolating, and tracing cases. It also focuses on involving unions, parents, and the community in the planning. Why is getting parents and the community involved so important? Can you expand on that? Yes. Yeah, so our plan, which we released in April, as important today as then, Five points, you have to have a reduction of the number of cases, not an increase of the number of cases, so you have limited community spread. You have to have this protocol of testing, tracing, and isolation so a spike does not become a surge. You can deal with outbreaks. You have to, as you just said, marry the public health tools with the needed instructional and well-being strategies. You need money, but then the point you just made, there's not going to be confidence in public education unless we get parents and teachers together to say and to feel like this is good for their kids, this is good for parents. We know that parents also need childcare as well. But if you don't have parents involved in the process and teachers involved in the process, particularly since this is a pandemic of unknown proportions and we're seeing surges, there's not going to be confidence that we are working in the best interest of kids. That's why the collaboration is absolutely imperative. Thank you so much for your perspective and also Thank your you. time, Randy Weingarten from the American Federation of Teachers. Thank you very much. And now to Capitol Hill. There is a strong reaction to President Trump's sentence commutation for his longtime friend and ally, Roger Stone. The president says he's happy with his decision, but Democrats and even some Republicans are criticizing the move. And former special counsel Robert Mueller gave his first public statement in nearly a year. Andrea Linares has more. Former special counsel Robert Mueller is defending his prosecution of Roger Stone. The Washington Post posting an op-ed from Mueller on its website Saturday night. Mueller writing, Stone was prosecuted and convicted because he committed federal crimes. He remains a convicted felon and rightly so. Adding, his team identified numerous links between the Russian government and Trump campaign personnel, Stone among them. The editorial comes a day after President Trump commuted Stone's sentence. I'm very happy with what I did. Mr. Trump did so against the advice of some aides, fearing the move would be seen as an abuse of power. Stone and Trump are longtime friends, and Stone worked with the president's campaign. Roger Stone was treated very unfairly. Roger Stone was brought into this witch hunt, this whole political witch hunt, and the Mueller a scam. He told me that he had decided to use uh, his extraordinary powers uh, of clemency to commute my sentence. Mueller notes that Stone's conviction on seven counts remains. He's been found guilty of tampering with a witness and obstruction. He's also convicted of lying to Congress, which prosecutors say he did in part to protect the president. I, w I want to clear my name, uh, therefore I'm happy Amen. to go, I'm happy yep. to, go to appeal. I'd like to get to a courtroom where we have a fair proceeding under honest judges and a do and a you know a, oh, a, 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 a system that is relatively fair. 
And the president, through this commutation, is basically saying, if you lie for me, if you cover up for me, if you have my back, then I will make sure that you get a get out of jail free card. Some of the strongest criticism coming from some members of the president's own party. Republican Senator Mitt Romney accusing the president of unprecedented historic corruption. The president's firing right back, calling those senators rhinos, Republicans in name only. Some wondering if this latest controversy will hurt the president in November. The commutation of Stone's sentence just means he won't have to go to prison for his crimes. Meanwhile, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham is agreeing with Democrats to let Robert Mueller testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And over the weekend, a shocking report coming from the New York Times, the outlet saying that President Trump actively considered selling the island of Puerto Rico following Hurricane Maria. Pablo Gato brings us those details. Trump showed interest in selling Puerto Rico, according to former acting Homeland Security Secretary Elaine Duke in an interview for The New York Times. It happened in 2017 after the devastating Hurricane Maria. Can we sell the island? Trump asked, she said. Las declaraciones insultantes del presidente confirman no solamente su desprecio al pueblo puertorriqueño a todos. These insulting remarks demonstrate not only his contempt for Puerto Ricans and all Hispanic, but also his ignorance, says this analyst. Paradoxically, in 2019, Trump asked about buying Greenland, the biggest island in the world and located in the Arctic. Greenland belongs to Denmark. It must be a joke, right? Reacted then this Danish lawmaker. The government of Denmark didn't show any interest in a potential offer. Greenland is not for sale, they said. Trump, in his visit to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, was criticized for throwing paper towels to the people lining up for help. More than 3,000 people died, but at the time, Trump denied it. 3,000 people didn't die. The Democrats say that only to make me look bad, he tweeted. I think that Puerto Rico was an incredible, unsung success. It's a treasure. You are a treasure. The Hispanic Americans and the Hispanic American community is a treasure. This week, the president described the Hispanic community as a treasure. But his opponents say that he sent little help and too late to Puerto Rico compared to states such as Florida and Texas. You can try selling your office, your integrity and your soul, Mr. President. But I assure you that Puerto Rico is not for sale, said New York Congresswoman Nidia Velázquez, who is from Puerto Rico. San Juan Mayor Carmen Julian Cruz said that Trump's comments disrespected Puerto Ricans and added that she doesn't know how the Puerto Rico governor could still support Trump. The White House emphatically supported the president, saying that $40 billion were assigned to Puerto Rico and that there could be more money. Regarding Puerto Rico, nobody can dispute the support of the president to Puerto Rico to recover after Hurricane Maria, they said an island that supposedly Trump asked if he could be sold, and another that couldn't be bought. Washington, Pablo Gato, U News. More of U News after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Also in Southern California, the historic San Gabriel Mission, founded by Spanish missionary Junipero Sierra, was heavily damaged by an overnight fire on Saturday. The 249-year-old Adobe Church, located just east of Los Angeles, which was undergoing renovations, is one of California's most historic landmarks and was still functioning as both a Roman Catholic church and a museum. The cause of the fire is under investigation. And while Florida struggles with a record number of confirmed cases, the coronavirus crisis hasn't stopped Disney from reopening the doors to its Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom parks just outside Orlando. Shea Rodriguez takes us inside for a look at what the experience is now like. Cars piled into the parking lots at Disney World for the first time in almost four months for the official reopening. Hello, everyone. I Among them was Michelle Kinzel. She helps run the blog Streaming the Magic and shot this video inside Disney's Magic Kingdom. They have things in place where we can social distance. <laughs> Their blog has been inside the parks the past few days. It's definitely busier. Uh, the cast member preview and the annual pass holder preview were a lot empty. Video provided by Disney shows some of those safety precautions in place, including temperature checks, social distancing, and requiring all guests, except those under the age of two, to wear a mask. They have been very strict about it. Um, other parks, you are allowed to walk around with a drink in your hand with your mask off. At Disney, they will tell you to put your mask back on. The reopening of Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom come as Florida continues to see an increase in positive coronavirus cases. The Florida Department of Health reported 10,000 new cases on Sunday. Um, definitely if you're low risk um, and if you're local, I think that would be the best bet. Annual pass holders, this is a really good time to come for them. If you don't feel comfortable, obviously if you're in a state that has to quarantine right now for two weeks, now would not be a best time, a uh, good time for you. You cannot overstate the importance of Disney on our local economy. Tourism leaders like Becca Bides at Visit Orlando call this weekend a potential turning point. It's the number one employer and just the revenue that they generate um, and that revenue that goes into helping the community in addition to payroll, just through sales taxes and, and um, the like. So you really can't overestimate the value of Disney and I think that's just going to be a huge shot in the arm for the whole community. Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studios are scheduled to reopen on July 15th. Shea Rodriguez, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.